Welcome back to the program. Today I'm going to begin with a scripture reading and then a prayer. This is from Matthew chapter 11. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you, Father, that you've revealed who you are to us through your Son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you not only lived among us, but you died for us, rose from the dead, and and now you pray for us with the Father in order to bring us eternal life. And I thank you, Father and Son, for the gift of your Spirit in our hearts, and I pray that you'd awaken the gift of your Spirit. Stir within us, Holy Spirit. Make us fire. Set us on fire to be able to live for you, to honor you. And Holy Spirit, we give you permission, and we we ask that you would cleanse our minds and our hearts. Cleanse us, O Holy Spirit of God, that we'd honor you in all things. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the rest that you offer to us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, World Vision. I've been connected with World Vision since the, well, early 90s, early 1990s, when I was doing work with uh, Evangelization 2000. Remember, Evangelization 2000 was a worldwide organization that was working with the Vatican to promote a decade of evangelization in support of St. John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II's call for a new evangelization in anticipation of the great Jubilee year 2000. That's a pretty long windup I just said there. (laughs) And one of my jobs was to bring together at the North American level, North America and the Caribbean, uh, leaders who were involved in the work of evangelizing and training others to evangelize. And one of the groups that I got connected with through that work was a Catholic leader who was very high up in World Vision. And he had this um, um, the role of helping to connect World Vision to Catholic efforts around the world. And so it was, it was a really, for me, a beautiful thing to be able to get to know the spirit and ideals of, of World Vision. Again, if you're, if you're, uh, I'm guessing almost everybody that's hearing my voice has heard of World Vision. You know, their world headquarters is actually in Federal Way, Washington. It's an amazing building, by the way. Anyway, so they have a chapel service there um, on Wednesdays, and um, I was the first, and uh, I think maybe still the only Catholic that has ever spoken at one of their chapel services, because they gather together. Um, well, when I the first couple of times I spoke there, it was in person, but um, after COVID, they've gone mostly to virtual meetings of uh, of World Vision and of these chapel services. And so I got to tell you, they are so dialed in, like the technology and and the coordination and the organization and getting things to them early. It's just amazing how how on top of things they are. Just a real top class organization. Doing amazing work, doing amazing work. And, and you know, you, you might be aware of them from sponsoring a child and all of that, but what you might not be aware of is the work they do with refugees. And and that gets to my point today. I'm I'm not here to promote World Vision so much. I'm here to to say that they do incredible work around the world to help with disaster survivors, refugees, and what are called internally displaced peoples. I didn't realize this, but the statistics on their website are that 82.4 million children and families have been forcibly displaced from their homes. Well, I'll give you another word for someone who's forcibly displaced from their home. That's a refugee. And of those 82.4 million, the work of World Vision has touched 31.1 million. That's shocking. It's amazing in terms of their outreach efforts to be with those folks and help them. So 
I took that as a cue that my theme was Christ is my refuge. And this is where you come in. This is going to be hopefully something that you find meaningful, relevant, applicable, and life-giving. It'll help you in your faith as you reflect on that theme that Christ is, or maybe for you it is to hear it, he intends to be your refuge. He intends to be your refuge. And if you need a refuge, and you've heard me talk about all of the Catholic refugees that I serve over here, and by that I mean folks that have been displaced from the homes where they were living, um, is that that theme of a refugee is a big deal right now in my life. And to stop and say, hey, no, wait a minute. Hey, folks, you who are spending your professional time and energy and, and, and organizational resources on being the face and light of Christ to reach out and serve refugees, number one, or helping folks that you're serving to be able to say, thank you for helping me find Christ to be my refuge. Well, why don't we reflect on what it means that Christ is intending to be our refuge. And so I offered a reflection yesterday during their prayer service, during their chapel service, on the truth that you are a refugee. And what does that mean? Wherever you are, okay? So I'm not saying you've moved. I'm saying there's a refugee quality to your existence, I know that's a term that we don't typically think of for ourselves, right? But if you stop and you hear the language of an internally displaced person, you might begin to say, oh my goodness, I I think that there is a way in which I experience internal, or let's call it spiritual, displacement. So I'm going to begin with the experience that Carrie and I had with a refugee, and then go from there to talk about the reality of being someone who finds Christ to be our refuge. And what does that look like? How do we get there? How do we in those places in our lives where we are a refugee, how do we experience a sense of Christ as our refuge? Now, I I don't have a lot of contact with refugees. You might have heard last fall, Carrie and I came into contact with a refugee family um, from the Ukraine, and it was connected to the the war uh, in Russia. And on a social media platform, someone reached out to me and said, "Would you like to meet this family?" And I said, "Absolutely, bring them over. We would be blessed to be able to meet them." And uh, and so we did. So they they show up, and it's a, a husband and wife, a couple of kids, and the the one the the oldest child is a teenager and. And all of a sudden, we hear the story of this Ukrainian refugee family, and, and, and they didn't really speak English, so it was the daughter who was telling us the story. And, and they first began by showing us where they lived, and they showed us a home that was, it was, um, it was like an estate. It was gorgeous. It was like a mansion. And a beautiful yard and this beautiful estate and, and the family sitting in, you know, like there was a stage photograph in front of the, the, the home and the yard. It was just beautiful. And then they showed us some other pictures of them uh, down in the basement and in a bathtub, uh, like hunkering down. And then they showed us a picture of the outside of the house again after the war started where there was this big kind of crater hole in the roof of this estate, of their home where a bomb hit, a bomb hit and exploded and had blown off like the middle portion of their house. And it it was just mind-blowing, right? And then they talked about how their escape happened, where they were told to hurry, hurry, hurry. The, The troops are arriving. The Russian troops are arriving. And came in the front, and they jumped into a car, and they're headed out the back, and then the bullets came. I mean, like, are you kidding me? And so the bullets come, and sure enough, you have the woman kind of just, she kind of pulled up the side of her shirt a bit to expose this 
scarring on the side, on her side. And the scarring from where she was shot. And then we got to hear the rest of this, not the rest of the story in great detail, but how they had to make it to the border and then go through other countries. And eventually, I believe it was in Belgium that they made their way to America. And, you know, come to find out, here they are. They're, they're trying to just figure out, like, how to go forward. And having a chance to, like, look these folks in the eyes, I began to understand more the reality of being a refugee. First of all, they had everything stripped away from them, right? It's, um, you know, when you think about the place that we call home, it's a place where we feel safe and secure. Well, here they are having, you know, built this life, and all of a sudden, apart from their willing it, wanting it, or choosing it, bombs are dropping, bullets are flying, and they have to flee. And they end up getting to a safe place, but... It's in another part of the world where they don't speak the language. And so not only do they have this sense of home being stripped away from them, they also have a sense of being exposed and vulnerable in the world that they're living in day to day. They don't even have the ease of being able to uh, communicate and operate in this world because they've lost everything and they're in a situation where they can't even speak the language. And the last thing was that they were trying to discern how to go forward financially. Come to find out that, you know, this man was like a corporate attorney in the Ukraine, and, but doesn't have the ability to operate as an attorney in this country, at least hadn't kind of navigated all that yet. And so they were just trying to figure out how to get by. And you just stop and you say to yourself, Wow. That, that's the reality of a refugee, just uprooted, displaced, pushed away. And here you go. You have the reality of being stripped away, exposed and vulnerable, and being incredibly humbled, just being humbled by the circumstances of life. Now, I mentioned that I want to link the reality of their being refugees and seeking a place of refuge to our lives. Now, it doesn't compare on the one hand, right? Like, Christ says to us, he speaks to us like we're refugees, right? What what does he say? He says, come to me, all you who are weary, who labor, who are burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm meek of humble of heart, and you'll find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus, he, he gets it. He knows. He knows that life can beat us up. We, we know that life circumstances can have that same refugee-like quality to it. We can be displaced from the interior experience of feeling at home. We can feel a bit wounded and traumatized by the life that's going on around us. We can feel exposed to the world and vulnerable to the things that are happening. And we can be incredibly humbled by the things that happen in our lives. And Jesus says, look, come to me, come to me, come to me. If you're feeling that, that laboring, that, that burden, keep coming to him. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, why would the Lord want to attend to me in my circumstance? Why would he bother? Why would I bother? I'll, I'll kind of figure it out on my own. I'll, I'll kind of make it make sense on my own. Why, do I, why would Christ want to, like, be that place of refuge for me when he's got much bigger fish to fry. Well, let's go back to what I want to identify as our fundamental human condition, living in this world. Living in this world, that's for all of us. And I want to gain the insight from the Liturgy of the Hours. Right. So the Liturgy of the Hours, as you know, it's the, it's the uh, divine office, it's the liturgical prayer of the church, you know, you have the, the breviary, it's called. You'll see priests with it, uh, religious sisters, and others make commitments to it. And if you just stop for a moment and say, hmm, what is the opening, what is the entering into the prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours? How does it begin? 
and, and not just not just one of the hours, but how do all of the hours begin? How does morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, the office of readings, they all begin with the same opening. What is that opening? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Oh, this is so interesting. Welcome back to the program. Here I am talking about refugees and (laughs) I'm the sponsor of the program. And it's a, it's a blessing to be able to help folks that are discerning a move. And if that's you, if you're discerning what's best for your family, uh, I would love to be able to help you in that discernment process and then serve you as a realtor if that makes sense. I, I work in Washington as well as in Idaho that you you heard there. You can go to my website and connect with me, drtomcurran.com, or you can reach out to me through mycatholicfaith.org. So the Liturgy of the Hours. Liturgy of the Hours is, it. how does it begin? Oh, it begins, oh yeah, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. No, but how does it begin? The opening of the Liturgy of the Hours in all of the hours is... God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Oh, God, come to my assistance. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. Now, hear that. That is so powerful because it's the prayer of a refugee. It's a prayer of someone who's seeking to find their refuge in God. And the church is is forming us, forging in us, teaching us to begin and to enter into the official prayer of the church, the liturgy, the uh, the liturgy of the hours at any hour of the day, in the morning, when you might feel strong and capable, ready to go to take on the day. How do you begin? From a place of need. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste. Make haste. It's not, Lord, hey, if you have a few minutes today— and there aren't bigger things going on for you to attend to, I would love for you to come and see what's happening in my life. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's God. Come to my assistance. Help me, God. Lord, make haste to help me. This is, and this is how we begin, not one hour of the Liturgy of the Hours, but every hour. It's as if the church is being is teaching us through these liturgy of the hours and God teaching us through this official prayer of the church that we desperately need God's help. That being overwhelmed by life is not foreign to our lives. And and so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest, that's a daily invitation. That's actually every hour of the day an invitation it, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that that's our fundamental condition in one of its facets. Okay, I just said that carefully. One of the facets of our fundamental condition is being in desperate need of God's help. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not just one of the Beatitudes. It's the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed Again, the word in Greek, makarios, means happy, happy, blessed. Blessings, happy with the happiness of God himself, right? That was what, last Sunday's gospel. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, not just, not just physical poverty, material poverty, or maybe poverty of health and other dif- different dimensions of poverty. No, poverty of spirit. That you go into the core, the depth of our being, and there's something that is a lack There's something that is a need. There's something that is empty and broken. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is 
the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God, God's realm, the realm of God's protection, provision, his guidance, his shepherding care, comes through the door of our lack, of our need. And I just want you to hear that. I just want you to to know that God is not caught off guard by your weakness, right? In fact, what does he say? And, And remember now my favorite passage in the Gospels, Luke 12, 32, do not live in fear, little flock. You're a little flock. He's the good shepherd. He's the mighty shepherd. Don't live in fear, little flock. It's pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. Your poverty of spirit, you're being a little one. You're being a vulnerable one. You're being exposed. You're being in a situation where things have been stripped away. You're being in a situation where you've been humbled. Don't worry. God's kingdom is covering you. The pleasure of the Father to pour into your life the good gifts that you need. That's what he has. Jesus is not cut, caught off guard by your being burdened and needing rest. Jesus Christ is your refuge. He wills to be your refuge. He does not weary of our weariness. He does not tire of our need for rest. Please hear that. It's like, how, how long am I going to be weary like this? He doesn't weary of it. Find your rest in him today. You're tired again? Don't, don't be concerned. Come and experience the rest he has for you today. He doesn't weary of your weariness. He doesn't tire of your need for rest. But he does weary of something. He wearies, he's tired of, our rebellion, our resistance, and our refusal to what? Okay, listen now. There's a rebellious spirit, a resisting spirit, and a refusing spirit in us towards what? To finding our refuge in Christ. That is crazy. But think about it. I refuse to find my refuge in Christ. I refuse, I resist finding my refuge in Christ. I rebel against finding my refuge in Christ. Why would we do that? (laughs) What is it in us that rebels and resists and refuses Jesus Christ and refuses to enter into him and find our refuge in Christ. Well, it all goes back to original sin. Now, not only there, but if we want to dig in deep, we want to dig in deep to that poverty of spirit and discover what it is that keeps us from finding our life and our refuge in Christ. Well, It's those three facets of original sin. You've heard me say it before, that in our tradition, if you look at Christian history, from the scriptures down through history, really beginning with Augustine, but um, flowing, you you see elements of it before, but going forward, you see the original sin being described as a sin of pride, disobedience, and mistrust. Those three facets Original sin manifests pride, disobedience, and mistrust. In Augustine, he focuses on pride, that it's an act of self-exaltation. It's, a, it's an act of clinging to one's own thinking, one's own way of seeing things, and therefore wanting to live from that. And so, as, an, as a, the, the first manifestation of original sin as an act of self-exaltation, it's really about rebellion. Right? We refuse to humble ourselves, we rebel against God, and uh, we won't lower ourselves. We want to exalt ourselves. And, and part of exalting ourselves is in our thinking. You see, part of the way that we are rebels is in our thinking, clinging to one's own thinking. That's one of the definitions of pride in St. Thomas Aquinas, whose feast day it was last week, and I missed it. Darn it. I, I mean, I missed it because it wasn't uh, during the week. <laughs> Okay, the second manifestation of original sin, and this moves more towards the time of the Reformation, is that sin, original sin is an expression of disobedience, which means what? We want to determine for ourselves the direction of our lives, and we're unwilling to follow. So that's more about the will. Right? So pride is more about the intellect. Disobedience 
I will not serve, right? Milton's uh, devil in Paradise Lost. I will not serve. Non-serviam is all about wanting to determine the direction of my own life and this unwillingness to follow. You know, it's that rebellion and that refusal that holds us back, our intellect and our wills that hold us back from finding our refuge in Christ. I don't want to be small like that. I don't want to let go of my thinking. I don't want to let go of my willing. I refuse. But then the third is that something that is more attuned to uh, the spirit that flows from the modern day. And and in particular, it's connected to a scientific mindset. Uh, And by that, I mean, it's a mindset that wants to stand over things and analyze them rather than give ourselves over to things in an act of trust. And so it's an age of mistrust. And so that's that third facet where we want to maintain a sense of self-control and we have within us an incapacity to give over, surrender, abandon, and trust. And so we resist. And that really gets to the heart. That gets really down into the core of our being. So not only are we rebelling in our minds and refusing with our wills, we're resisting in the core of our beings and our hearts and our spirits to say, Lord, I entrust myself to you. I give myself over to you. And those are all things that can hold us back from finding our refuge in Christ. And so I want to dig into that. I want to figure out how, how do we overcome that? How do we overcome that in, in, in a devotional way? And devotional doesn't mean emotional. In a devotional way, let's explore how the saints, I'm going to focus on St. Francis and St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. Uh, she is the saint of the sacred heart. That finding a refuge in Christ was connected to entering into the open and most sacred heart of Jesus. And so I'm going to be talking here in a way that's theologically informed devotion. Okay? So we're going to, I'm going to be encouraging you to take a devotional position, meaning you're going to express yourself in a way that says, I I am not rebelling in my mind. I'm not refusing with my will. I'm not resisting with my heart in the core of my being. That's what we're going to strive for, okay? And we're going to begin with St. Francis of Assisi. Now, you remember he heard Jesus speak to him from the cross. Jesus Christ crucified when he said, rebuild my church. Okay, you remember the name of the crucifix that Christ was speaking from, right? It was the San Damiano crucifix. And and it's called that because it's the crucifix that's hanging in San Damiano Church. By the way, it's huge. It's way bigger than I thought it was when I first saw it. One of the other things that um, that is distinctive about it is that that crucifix, and, and if you're familiar at all with Franciscans, you, you often will think of it, oh, that's the Franciscan cross, right. So that cross uh, in San Damiano has become something that is very much connected to the Franciscan order in its many forms. It's all over the Franciscan University of Steubenville, by the way, which you probably know. But it, this traditional image of Christ crucified has some distinctive elements. The first is Christ's eyes are open, so he's alive, He's still alive on the cross. The second is that you see Christ with many figures around the crucifix. So you have angels around both outstretched hands. You have Christ further resurrected and ascended into heaven above. And it's it's as if there's this beautiful connection between Christ's passion, his death, his descent among the dead, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. That's called the Paschal Mystery. So you have Christ above at the top where you see him entering back into heaven. And then along beside him, you see the some great saint figures, those that are at the foot of the cross. But down on the left side, there's a figure that's tiny, much tinier than 
the figures of the, the saints that are near to or next to Jesus at the cross. And it's the one who plunged the, uh, the spear into the side of Christ. It's uh, St. Longinus, right? You've, you, maybe you've heard that before, the name of the guard who has traditionally been associated with the one who pierced the side of Christ, pierced his most sacred heart, opened the side of Christ, from which blood and water flowed, right? In the Gospel of John, it mentions that. Well, he appears in this scene. He appears in uh, on the San Damiano crucifix. But the thing that is so striking about the way that he's depicted on this crucifix is only seen if you take a close look at the blood that is present on the crucified Christ. You see, he's been pierced in his hands, and on his right hand that's stretched out, the blood is coming down his hand, and then it's running down his arm to his elbow. And then it's dripping down below, down underneath his elbow, onto Longinus. And so Longinus is, is literally being covered with the blood. And the, the wound in the side, you see this sort of spurting of blood. It's like a shower of blood that also is covering Longinus. And so walk with me here for a minute. It was the wound, these wounds of Christ that were caused by Longinus. Christ being wounded by Longinus that opened the redemptive blood of Christ to flow upon Longinus. Are you tracking with me? Are you getting this? This is so important for us to know. And if you're not capturing the, the full meaning of it yet, well, I don't want to say the full meaning, the profound personal meaning of this to our lives, I'll tell you it in just a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I'm, today my theme is finding your refuge in Jesus Christ. And we find our refuge if we're someone who is in some manner or form a refugee. And if we're a refugee, we've been displaced from that sense of being at home. We're exposed in a situation where we're vulnerable. We are humiliated by the things that have been stripped away from us, and now we are just reliant upon maybe taking actions that we never thought would be part of our life. And yet, very, very few of those hearing my voice have any concrete connection to the reality of being a refugee the way that 82.4 million people around the world are displaced people right now. Millions and millions. But we, in our own way, through sin, we are becoming we experience the reality of being refugees. We're displaced from our a sense of being at home in God. We're displaced from that sense of being at home within ourselves. We are exposed to this reality that we're so vulnerable to the, the things of the world and the flesh and the devil that are holding us back, binding us up. It is so humiliating. Lord, I want to find my refuge in you. But Lord, as I think about coming back to you, I rebel. I refuse. And I resist as acts of pride and disobedience and mistrust somehow bubble up. Maybe not all of them in the same degree in, in your life, but how do we overcome it? Well, we're looking to first the San Damiano crucifix. And we learn from St. Longitis presented in this crucifix that the very things that we use to wound Christ become the very things that Christ uses to be a gift back to us. You remember what it said at the Easter Vigil in the Exaltet, right? The Easter Vigil, right? We're celebrating what? Christ's resurrection from the dead. Oh, happy fault, right? The sin of Adam is a happy fault that won for us so great a Redeemer, there's a way in which we would not have known the, the, the quality, the depth, the type 
of love that God has for us had we not sinned. O happy fault, the sin of Adam that won for us so great a Redeemer. And this this is something that's so hard for us to appreciate, that somehow the wound, the wound that, that... by which we wound Christ and, and by which we become wounded ourselves is transformed into the gift. It's transformed into, into that through which Christ shows us the depths of his love for us. He shows us the extent of his love for us. He shows us the ever faithful, ever inviting mercy that says, find your refuge in me. Yes, you have plunged your spear into my side and you've opened a, sp- a space where, where now my blood can flow upon you. But now, and this is now where I'm going to move to St. Mar- uh, Margaret Mary Alacoque in the revelation of the most sacred heart of Jesus. Find your hiding place in the heart of Christ. And I, again, this is, it's theologically informed devotion is what I'm talking about here. When the church and the great saints talk about find your shelter in his side, in the side of Christ, right? Obviously, we're not talking about a physical thing, like I'm going to somehow physically crawl into the side of Christ. No, no, it's all about a devotional way of relating to the fact that the heart of Christ, the heart of the risen Lord Jesus, the heart of God is open to me, and I can spiritually say, I Come to you, Jesus. I place myself into your heart, Lord. Lord Jesus, please, I I hide in your sacred heart. Please draw me in. Receive me again. Lord Jesus, please, I need to find my refuge in you. Lord, I want to hide in your heart and sense the beating love of your heart in my life. I want to be encompassed by that heart. I want to be surrounded by that heart. I want that the love of Christ that I plunge into to immerse yourself in me. So that's me like speaking that again. That's kind of a devotional thing, but let me read it in Psalm 62, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this language that is the language of someone who's hiding in God. Psalm 62, 6 and 7. My soul be at rest in God alone. In God alone. In God alone. Not be at rest in relationship with God, but be at rest in God alone. From whom comes my hope? God alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. My refuge is in God. Trust God at all times, my people. Pour out your hearts to God, our refuge. Now, you hear that psalm, and it's so beautiful because what does it do? It overcomes the rebellion, it overcomes the refusal, and it overcomes the resistance. It's transforming ourselves. I'm not going to try to exalt myself and be my own stronghold. No, 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 no. My rock, the one I'm going to lean on, is God. I, I, am, I humble myself. I do not act with pride. I do not rebel. Lord, my hope is in you. I rest in you. And I don't want to glorify myself, but I find my salvation and my glory because I need help in you. You're my rock. You're my salvation. In you, my glory. That's where I'll rest. And then the mistrust, trust God at all times. Pour out your hearts. Don't hold back. No surrender, abandon, and trust Pour your heart out to God. Psalm 62, 7, 6 and 7. That's the prayer of someone who finds 
their hope in God, who seeks a refuge in Jesus Christ. So you can do that through a personal prayer, like that is spontaneously said, that expresses the the deep sentiment of your heart. Again, that's a devotional. Or you can read a psalm, like Psalm 62. And And you can read the whole psalm. I just picked out verse 6 and 7 because it was so relevant here. But there's more to this. There's more to this reality of finding your refuge in the heart of Christ, hiding in his most sacred heart. So, yes, it's true, and I encourage you to do that, to enter his wounded sacred heart. How do I do that? I do this in a couple of ways. The first is we have the enthroned image of the most sacred heart of Jesus. So that's something I would encourage you to do, if you haven't, to find a holy image of this most sacred heart of Jesus and uh, prepare your family for an act of enthronement where you're honoring this most sacred heart of Christ who revealed himself uh, to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. Now, associated with that is the second thing that we do. And that is, uh, I do, is I look to the Blessed Mother and her Immaculate Heart. One of the very natural things to do is if you're going to enthrone the most sacred heart of Jesus is you also enthrone the Immaculate Heart of our Blessed Mother Mary. Again, good good local Catholic bookstores are going to give you access to holy images that are worthy of being presented in a place of honor in your home, displayed. And and so we in our family, we, we pray our rosary, our family rosary, in front of these holy images. And if it happens to be one of those days where, okay, some certain kids need to be studying for a test or there needs to be cleaning of dishes, we'll actually carry the holy images into the living room area so that we continue to honor the most sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of our Blessed Mother. As a way of saying uh, that, Christ, you are our refuge. You're the refuge of our family. And so that's just a, a sort of a concretization of, of how you can um, be bringing the sacred heart of Christ present before your family, before yourself, and, and saying, Lord, I enter your heart in this prayer. Lord, please welcome me in your heart as I pray. And so that's a, a, just a real concrete encouragement. Okay, but that's just the first stage. There's, there's a second stage, and that has to do with what happens when you find yourself hidden in the heart of Christ. Something happens to you when you, again, devotionally place yourself in the heart of Christ. What is it? I'm going to tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Connor. It's great to be with you today. Today, I'm talking about finding your refuge in Jesus Christ. Each of us in our own way, really on a daily basis, so says the Liturgy of the Hours, are going to need to cry out, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. We will find ourselves in situations that are a bit overwhelming, stressful, where we get a bit panicked, overwhelmed, um, or just concretely find ourselves at a place of deep need. Christ is not caught off guard by that. In fact, that becomes a blessing. It becomes a source of happiness because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we discover that place of need, it's an opportunity not to refuse and resist and rebel against finding Christ to be our refuge by trying harder or exalting ourselves, not wanting to submit, not wanting to follow, not wanting to trust, but instead coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, please, I have wounded you by my pride. I have hurt you through my diso- uh, my um, refusing will. And I, I struggle to entrust and surrender myself to you. But Lord, I believe that I'm like Longinus, and the very wounds that I have placed upon you become the means by which you approach me as a savior, a redeemer. Some, uh, the very blood that I've shed through my sin is the blood that washes me clean and gives me the open 
space to enter your heart. And so, Lord, devotionally, spiritually, personally, I say, please welcome me into your heart. Draw me into your heart of love. And then what will happen next? What will happen next is that his love begins to wash over us, soak into us, and begins to inflame our heart so that our hearts become transformed by his heart. And we become stirred. We become inflamed. We begin to experience a burning passion within us to go forth into the world. See, here's the amazing thing is that there's a dynamic that exists between us experiencing ourselves as refugees and us experiencing ourselves as rescuers. Let me say that again. That if you plunge yourself into the heart of Christ intentionally, consciously, devotionally, place yourself there to say, Lord, I need to seek my refuge in you for I am lost without you. You will discover a rising within you, a longing, a a, a fervor, a passion to bring the rescuing care in the heart of God to others. And so let me ask you, do you live your life on earth as a refugee, seeking refuge in Christ, or a rescuer, seeking to reach out and seek and save the lost because of the love that's in the heart of Christ? Yes. The transformation is from refugee to rescuer. So please, Discover your need for and take action on the reality that Christ says to you today. Come to me, all you who are weary and labor and find life's burdensome, and I will give you rest. He's open to you. He's not surprised, not caught off guard. He's pleased with this Father to give you the kingdom. He wants you to enter into your heart. That poverty of spirit that you sense and that you experience when you fall short in sin, he's not caught off guard by that, but he'll use those very things to wash over you, soak into you, and then when you say yes and give yourself over to him, he'll make you clean, and then he'll stir within you a fervor to say, I need to go rescue others. And that's what happens. We begin to gain a sensitivity, a conviction, and a courage, all three of those, to live for others. And it's not just, that's not the best way of saying it. To allow Christ to shine through us. We'll begin to gain a sensitivity and a conviction and a courage to say, Christ, Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, my refuge, please work through me to bring others to your refuge, to help others discover in you a refuge. What you have done for me and you're doing in me, please do it for others through me. And all of a sudden you'll get that sense of stewardship, that sense of stewardship that says my life can be lived as a life of rescue. Because I find in you a refuge, I want to go rescue others to help them discover in you a refuge, a refuge for marriages that are struggling, a refuge for parents whose kids are struggling, a refuge for for individuals who find themselves single again, right, through whatever, whatever circumstance and situation to say, the Lord wants to be your refuge. For those of you that, that feel left out, left behind, those, the anawim, the poor ones of God, the Lord wants to, you to be a refuge. He wants you to, to come and enter into him. Th- that sense of rescue. And then even, wow, the sense I have, my word for the year, expiation, to rescue who? Well, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us, us, us from the fires of hell. Lead all, all all souls to heaven, especially, especially those who have most need of thy mercy. Rescue them. Who's most in need of God's mercy? Christ's mercy right now. Those that are near to death but far from God. The message of Fatima, the Blessed Mother. Pray for these poor sinners falling like snowflakes into hell. There's no one to pray for them and do penance and make expiation for their sins to join in with that work of Christ to rescue, to bring saving salvation to those who are at the hour of their death, now and at the, now at the hour of their death. That can be our work. 
And so Christ is your refuge and that transformation from refugee to rescuer, that becomes like the journey of our lives. This journey of our lives that it's not one one and done, right? It's not one and done. It's not like, oh, I needed to be ref, re, uh, rescued and then someone reached out to me and I realized that I had this refugee status and that I hid in Christ and now I have that rescuing spirit. Now I go out. No, you know what's going to happen today? You're going to fall. I'm going to fall. <laughs> Original sin is going to bear its ugly head. We're not fully redeemed yet. And so you know what will happen? We'll be tempted. And sadly, not, not for sure, but out of weakness or willfulness, we will fall. And when we fall, once again, we're back into the dynamic. Lord, I need to find my refuge in you. Lord, I need to be rescued. I need to be rescued. I need to experience that redemption that you won for me. Why? So that I can then go forward and be that rescuer to others. That's what I can do. This is a dynamic that we better get this right. And you see this dynamic? It's not just understanding a truth in your mind. It gets to the heart. It gets to the will. Yes, it gets to the mind because we have to overcome the rebellion, but it also gets to the will that, that refusal to enter into this process, or the, the heart, the heart posture. Like, are we open to abandon ourselves? And you know what? That's a great place to begin. Pour out your hearts to God, our refuge. Trust God at all times. Psalm 62, verse 7. Your refuge is in God. It's intended to be. It's not, it, this is not something that he wearies of. Pour out your heart to God. Trust God at all times. And, and this is where I'll, I'll end. I'll end it with this simple reality. If you're saying to yourself, I don't know how to do that. I feel stuck. I, I do resist. It's scary. What's going to happen to me? Uh, I, I, I've never done that before. I feel within me a, a hesitancy, a reluctance, or just a no emerging within me. Bring that to Jesus. Jesus, I want to pour my heart out to you and say, I trust you and I entrust myself to you. And actually, Lord, even though I say I want to, I also really deeply feel the reality that I don't want to. There's a part of me, Lord, deep inside that puts up a wall, that puts a blockage up and says, I don't know how to get over this. But Lord, I want to want to. I do want to want to. Even if I can't want to right now, I can at least want to want to find you as my refuge. And so, Lord, please give me that grace today. Give me the grace today to take a step forward so that I might find in you my refuge. Please conquer in me all that resists you. Conquer in me my refusal my rebellion, and my resistance. Conquer in me my pride, my disobedience, and my mistrust. Please, Jesus, do that because I want to know the consolation, the peace, the joy, the life, the refreshment that comes from knowing you as my refuge. Amen. I hope that's a blessing. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow with Kerry for more Sound Insight.